please join me in the prayer for illumination found in your bulletin. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 4. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them. Take twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood. Carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites, whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites. As the Lord told Joshua, carried them over with them to the place where they camped and laid them down there. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Those 12 stones, which they had taken out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, saying to the Israelites, when your children ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. The word of God for the people of God. This time I invite the adults to be seated and I invite any children in the congregation or the young at heart to come forward for our lessons with the children. Hi. I had to say young at heart to cover these folks. Yeah, no problem. Welcome, Merry Christmas. I hope you had a really, really, really good week. Hi. So this morning, we are talking about remembering. Now you're young, so you probably have a really good memory, but Pastor Stacy's memory is horrible. I can't remember places I'm supposed to be. I can't remember things I'm supposed to do. I have a hard time remembering birthdays. I did remember I was preaching this morning. That's good news. (laughs) But I have lots of ways to help me remember things. One of the ways that I have to help me remember things is I often either put a hair tie or a rubber band on my wrist. Have you seen this before? Some adults do this. It helps us remember. Some of y'all do this, I'm assuming. Yes. I also have this little cross. It's really gross and kind of dingy. I should wash it. But it reminds me of two things. One, it reminds me of my friend that made it. A man made it named Donald. It was somebody that I knew when I lived in Georgia. And he used to make these and give them to people because he wanted them to remember that Jesus loved them. He made them out of old t-shirts, which I thought was really cool. Another thing that we use to remember sometimes is string. 
Sometimes if you tie a string around your finger, it's to help you remember. But I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I do that and I don't remember what the string is for. So that's kind of useless. When we had the blessing of the pets, we gave all of the pets this little medallion. Do y'all remember this? Some of y'all were at the blessing. And when we gave the pets this medallion, it was to remind them and to remind us that they are loved of God. On the cover of our bulletin this morning, there's a stack of rocks. Did y'all see this? We were like, why is there a stack of rocks on our worship bulletin? This is a way that some people remember. The stack of rocks for some people helps mark a really special place for them. And a lot of people do these along the banks of rivers or lakes, and it's to mark something really special and beautiful. One of my absolute favorite ways of remembering is when I see a rainbow in the sky. The rainbow is on the cover of our book. Oh, you have one on your shirt too, I love that. And the rainbow helps us to remember a promise from God, that God would never destroy the earth with a flood again, and that God loved us. And I want you to think about every time you look at the stuff in this building, just how much God loves you. We see symbols of that everywhere. And on the first Sunday of the month, when you come down to the rail and we give you a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice, that's another way that we remember just how much God loves us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to Children's Church after I pray. So let us pray together. Dear God, thank you for all of the many ways you remind us of just how much you love us. God, in the lives of these kids, would you provide ample reminder we thank you for the ways that they remind us of your love as well. In your name we pray, amen. Now, if you are three or four or five years old, I'm going to invite you to go with Pastor Maggie and Molly to Children's Church. This past week, the last week of 2023, I have seen all sorts of year in review the best movies of the year, the best songs of the year, the most epic orange bowl ever of this year or any year. And in the coming years, few of these, except for the orange bowl, will be remembered. Most of these pop culture moments are fleeting. It's the family memories that we create that tend to create more meaning. A friend of mine has this beautiful tradition, and I think I'm going to has a letterbox, and this has been something that her family has done since she was a little girl. And in this Christmas-themed mailbox, she stores all of the year's notes and cards. And when the box of Christmas decorations comes out each year, so does this mailbox. It sits until Christmas evening, and then you open it and you take out the letters and the notes that she wrote last year, and you exchange them and you read them. And these notes can be to yourself, accomplishments from the year, hopes, plans for next year, sweet words to spouses or kids. And then you take a blank card, you fill it out, you put it in the box, and it goes away until the next year. After years, she said, you have a nice history of notes. Notes from family no longer with you, by choice or by death, notes about things you've forgotten. How amazing it must be to open up a letter from a loved one who has just died. In their Handwriting. 
What a gift that will continue to be for years to come. In our reading through of the Bible this past year, I couldn't help but think of the Bible just like this box that she pulls out each year. It is full of notes just like this. Family histories and genealogies, stories of amazing events, lists of accomplishments, stories of trials. And as we read, I started to notice this trend. Whenever there is a significant event, we see some commemoration of it. It's either in the naming of a place with a special word that describes the interaction, or a monument is erected. At least three times, there are stones that are placed. Once, after the incredible dream that Jacob has, he takes the stone that he was using as a pillow and he props it up and pours oil over it and marks that space. It was a dream that helped remind him of God's covenant with Abraham. Another time, the time that we read it today in scripture, we learn about when they cross over on dry land. And a third time is when the Philistines' attack was thwarted. That definitely deserved a rock monument. On the cover of your bulletin today is a modern Ebenezer, or stone of remembrance of God's help. We actually aren't supposed to build these anymore. It actually really hurts the ecosystem of the river, but it's still beautiful, so don't build them. But it's good for illustration for today. Heath Jones reminded me that in Hebrew, the word Ebenezer is found in the book of 2 Samuel, and it's actually two words, so read right to left. The first word is eben, or stone, or rock. The second word, ezer, is actually help or helper. So the Hebrew construct here, Ebenezer, with the ha is usually in the article in the middle, the stone of help. We say this word most twice a year. One, when we read the story of the Christmas carol. What's the name of the, the main guy? Ebenezer Scrooge, that's right. We also say it when we sing the song that we just sang. Thank you, Matthew, for that. Come thou fount of every blessing. The second verse starts, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thine help I'm come. The author, Robert Robinson, is marking this time and this space. He says, I will remember that God helped me to get to where I am. And I will trust in God to lead me where I am going. You see, Robinson had a really difficult early life. His father died at the age of eight, when he was eight. He was disinherited by his grandfather, and he went into an apprenticeship so he could provide for himself and his family. He fell into a street gang in London and lived riotously until he heard the preacher George Whitfield. Some of y'all have heard that name before. He was a very famous preacher. Robinson was so influenced by him that he repented, turned his life around, and he himself became an influential preacher and pastor and penned these words, noting the goodness of God and the joy of faith. So as we close out this year, on this the very last day of the year, I want us to consider the way remembrance shows up in the Bible, be it in the Ebenezer's, or what we also might learn by looking back and moving forward. In my reading of the Bible, there's at least three ways that remembering the past helps us to move forward into the future with hope. The first way I see remembering the past moving us to hope is that these memories cause us to be grateful for the good times. 
The example of the Ebenezer from the book of Joshua is a clear and vivid one. When those of future generations see this intentional piling of stones, they will remember this moment with awe and wonder. I know we read the book of Joshua a really long time ago, or it feels like it to those of us who read it through the year. So let me give you a quick recap. The people of God experienced harsh slavery in Egypt. God heard their cries. God sent Moses and Aaron down to deliver them. There was a series of plagues. That's a very memorable part of scripture. The heart of Pharaoh is turned to allow them to escape, but then he quickly changes his mind and sends people to chase after the Israelites on their way out. God causes the sea to part. People cross it. And when the enslavers catch up, the seas that were held back are released and the enslavers die. The people of God then wander the desert for 40 years. They live on manna and dew. They follow God as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They grumble, they complain. There was the whole golden calf episode. And essentially none of that generation gets to enter into the promised land. In the book of Joshua, we get the next generation's first glimpse into the promised land. And in today's text, we get a scene very similar to their first crossing of the water. Through a symbolic act of stacking stones, God parts the water, they cross the Jordan on dry land, and enter the promised land. These stones, Joshua points out, are erected so that when the next generation comes, they will know this is where God parted the waters so that we could get where we were going. These guideposts matter. We don't live forever. We need to leave writings and clues for future generations so that they know how we got to where we are. I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson on the way home visiting family at Christmas, and he was talking about the ever-expanding nature of the universe. Everything was once very small and compact, and now it's moving apart at an astonishing rate. And one day, he said, the galaxies that we can see will be too far away to see without major advances in technology. In other words, in the far future, folks won't know of these other universes because it'll be too far away unless the scientists of today figure out how to tell the future. It made DeGrasse Tyson and me wonder what are we missing that the people who came before us knew? What is gone in the same way that those universes will be too far out to see? We share what we share now in stories and letters and books and songs so that the next generation will remember. One of my favorite memories of my maternal grandmother was a visit that she made to cheer me up when I was going through a period of depression in college. She came down to Macon, Georgia and picked me up and drove me to the big metropolis of Archer, Georgia. It's actually very tiny. It was to see the childhood home of Jimmy Carter. My grandmother was about 10 years younger than Jimmy Carter, but they shared a really similar childhood life on a farm. And we walked into the house that people who worked the farm lived in, and the house had this old wood cook stove. Some of y'all are picturing one in your head right now. 
And seeing that old stove reminded my grandmother of her families. So using my early big digital camera, I recorded her as she stood at the cook stove and pretended to cook some of her famous fried potatoes for me. I can almost smell them just describing them to you right now. She laughed and I did too. We were playing house on this historical tour of this farm, but that cook stove unlocked deep core memories for my grandmother. It reminded her of home. And I cannot separate memories of my grandmother from memories of Jimmy Carter's childhood home to this day. See, my grandmother's family was very large. And like most families of the 30s and the 40s, they made do with little. They handmade what they could not buy. And that stove represented the food that her family was able to put on the table, sometimes in abundance. She remembered with gratitude the good times. And I remember with gratitude the good times with my grandmother. Just like that stove unlocked some deep core memories, the stones in today's scripture text were placed to unlock memories of the gratitude of the people of God. Reminders of the goodness of God and the way that God always upholds God's promises. Memory helps us remember the good times and also to recall the bad times when times are good. Chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy is one long do not forget passage. The author of this passage seems to know intimately the human tendency to forget, to forget to honor God when times are good. And it's something we all do. When something awful in our community or in our lives happens, we find ourselves on our knees in prayer at the rail. But when life is good, when we eat our fill, have good houses to live in, it's easy to slip and not remember God's commandments. Ronald Clements says, in the forefront is the perceptive observation that it is the memory of the years of famine and want that the value of an abundance of food and clothing is most fully appreciated. Nothing comes to us without God. Success and prosperity too, therefore, are tests of character in their own ways more subtle and dangerous than the wilderness. In this instance, God's, the memory of God's works among the people and their very active liberation is designed to help them do better. And even though our God is good all the time, we are not always so good in our response. The next way I see memory used in scripture is an aid to help us admit where we went wrong. Much of the Old Testament can be summed up in this phrase. We are not where we want to be now. How did we get here? The books of the Bible were written by the people of God who found themselves in exile. Their history is written in hindsight. They saw in their missteps the ways in which they failed their God and did not uphold their end of the covenant. And if there's one narrative that can be called the connective tissue of scripture, it's that when our love failed, God's love remained steadfast. Hindsight is 2020, and our memories can still be faulty. Both of these are true. 
I try to check my childhood memories sometimes against the memories of my sister and my mom. Do y'all do this? Call your sibling. Do you remember this? We tend to remember ourselves as the victims or as innocents, even when we committed the most grievous of sins. We wear rose-colored glasses and long for a nostalgic time of our own memories that may have been good for us, but were awful for others. The church can be like that as well. We hope that we have always been on the right side of history, and in many ways we have been. We just celebrated this year 150 years of history as a chartered congregation. So surely there are times when we've done right and other times when we've missed the mark. When our church was first chartered, we were part of the deeply sinful split known as the Methodist Episcopal Church South. That split of the Methodist church was one that condoned the enslaving of human beings. And we split from the Methodist Episcopal Church North to allow it. And that North and South rift in Methodism was one that did not mend until the 1930s, well after the Civil War had ended and liberation was declared. So throughout much of Weston's early history, we typically mirrored the pattern of the South, which is to say we perhaps lived a little too comfortably with Jim Crow segregation. On the other hand, we have documentation of West End pastors who preached against segregation, parishioners who worked to integrate the lunch counters, and some parishioners that are even here today who were part of the march from Selma to Montgomery for the rights of people to vote. We can't travel back in time to figure out exactly why we did the things we did, good or bad, but the memories of those things that we did wrong, both in our private lives and in our shared life together as a church, lead us to repentance, an act we do each week in corporate worship. Earlier when Maggie read, she read the first part, which is a structured call to confession. And we write these out to help us corporately remember the things we may have done. And then in 10 seconds of silence that follows, we remember the times that week where we personally failed and needed to confess to God. And it's not enough to say we're sorry. We must realize we've been done wrong and change our ways. And this is one area where I see memory repeatedly used in the Bible. Memory reminds us to repent, to do better. Memory does more than just help us recall when God was with us in the bad times. It calls us to do better than what was done to us. Later in Deuteronomy 24, when describing the commandments, God shows the utmost care in how we take care of the immigrant, the widow, and the orphan among us. These special commandments around these vulnerable people groups are both revolutionary and grounded in memory. Immigrants and widows and orphans, they were cut off from their families of origin. And so they became much more than usually vulnerable to exploitation and abuse. And so the admonition here, which once again falls back on the historical recollection of Israel's ancestry, warns against exploitation of their weakness. Remember, God tells them and tells us today, you were once in a difficult place and I brought you through it. 
don't make life more difficult for others. Remember my goodness and do better. While the Hebrew Bible is full of admonitions to remember, the New Testament also has some beautiful references to memory, particularly in the life of Jesus. For the gospel writers of Matthew and Luke, so much of the story of Jesus is a reminder of God's goodness and desire for the people of God to do better. Jesus is a fulfillment of the prophecies they remember. With each quote from Isaiah, it's like the gospel writer is saying, see, don't you remember? This is how it was supposed to happen. They looked back to remember the words of old and saw in Jesus the life of fulfillment. Jesus often expands upon their understanding of the past with familiar phrases like, you've heard it said, and interprets not only their own understanding of history, but expands upon it in ways that help them do better. It's not just walking one mile, but go the additional mile. It's not just giving one cloak, but giving the extra. It's not an eye for an eye. It's turning the other cheek and praying for those who persecute you. Perhaps the best example of memory in the life of Jesus is when he's nearing the end of his life and gathering with his friends in an upper room. He had been preparing them for this moment throughout his time, dropping hints here and there about how he was going to have to die and be raised back to life. In that upper room, he reminds the people who have traveled with him that he will not be with them and that in this holy meal, that we celebrate each month through Holy Communion, they are to remember him. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it and lets them know that that bread is his body. And whenever they do this, they are to do it in remembrance of him. And in that liturgy that we read together, we say, and so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We look back so that we can move forward. We remember the life of Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ. And next week when we celebrate Holy Communion together, I hope you'll pay special attention to that part where we remember and then consider what memory leads us to do. Until then, as we reflect on this year, let us look back with, on the goodness of God. May our memories of the places that we've strayed, both individually and collectively, redirect us to do better in 2024. Let's look back, yes, but not to linger with a type of nostalgia that gets you hung up on the past. Let us reflect on the past only to set our feet in the right direction so that we can move forward together for the glory of God. In the name of the God who loves us no matter what, the Son, a living fulfillment of the memory of a people, and the Holy Spirit sent to remind us of that love. Amen.